so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. And here we are back with another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Archie, Toby and Leo coming at you, bringing you a recap of everything that's happening in the British and Irish Lions Springbok series, as well as previewing the Bledisloe. We will also touch on the MLR, where we had our first champions over the weekend's crowned. Um, but boys, game two, British and Irish Lions, obviously massive um, hype and controversy over refing decisions coming out of the first one. And then it was all about the story. Rousey came out with his 60 minutes sort of breakdown of everywhere. There was wrong decisions. What was your like 10 words or less or one sentence recap of this game? What'd you think? Too much box kicking. The, the lions just, just really couldn't handle it. But I mean, as a spectacle again, just too much box kicking. That's my headline. I think it was well refed actually. Like I know box, gets a bit pedantic and slows it down and really talks through it. But I don't think they made big wrong decisions um, in that game, aside from probably being a bit lax on cards. They were the main things. Yeah, I think, you know, Rassi stole the week really with his little rants on, on YouTube. Little? The game, little owl rants, you know. He, he was very, like, I found it enjoyable and I agree with pretty much everything he said. Yeah. Um, you watched the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, was I, good. I was found it very hard to disagree. There's a couple of things you're like, eh, yeah, they're not always going to get that, but man made some good points. Yeah. And I think the way this series has gone down, I just there's a shame it hasn't been more rugby played. It just hasn't been a good spectacle. And that's not what you want from a, you know, a series that only happens every four years that everyone kind of waits around for. Um but at least we got a decider this weekend. I think that's big at least. Um, series is still alive and who knows, it could be some fireworks and maybe some tries this weekend. So this game ended 27 to 9. Springboks seemed to not fall off in stamina or anything. There were some comments coming out. I mean, we had a first half that took about 60 minutes um, with multiple stoppages with either potential injuries or going to the TMO, going through decisions, lots of stop starts, chatting to captains. People have said that this was almost uh, something that suited the Springboks, whether or not it's a tactic to slow everything down because they prefer that slower stop-start game. They're bigger. um, And if they can keep their forwards fresh doing this and having sort of slowing everything down, they're more effective um, in these games. Do Do you guys agree with that? I don't know if it's something they could have generated deliberately like you can extend moments, but you can't always create them. Um, and I mean, there was two almost all in um, shirt grabbing instances where they, they just all decided to come third man in and, and get a bit, get a bit fisty with each other. And, and I think the Springboks were just loving that they were stirring these British and Irish lines guys up. Like 
it's a Beth's got a big grin on his face. Toji actually looked a bit cowed. Um, they they were just running in and you know just getting under their skin. I think that was, the, if anything, rather than slowing the game down. Although that might be an advantage for the Springboks, for exactly what you said. I think they're they're in they're um, what they were trying to achieve was really just to unsettle the British Irish Lions because they didn't they didn't have the momentum. The British and Irish Lions had the win under their belt. They were um, possibly favoured uh, in this game and they needed to stir them up and make them feel a bit uncomfortable and then they started putting tries on in the second half so uh, I think there's as much about just getting under their skin as, as trying to slow it down Yeah, I think there's a difference between being a dirty team and being a very hard team and the box in the past have been guilty of infringing in the wrong way and being slightly dirty in their tactics but now I just think they're a very just abrasive, hard team that won't take a backward step and I think the Lions are a little bit intimidated by them so good to see that but yeah again I just want to see more more ball in hand from these teams and they've got so much talent across the park and let's just let them play let's stop playing tactical kicking all the time which is just leading to handling errors and more scrums and you know the referees obviously quite involved but I think we just need to see them both these teams chance their arm have a go and and we don't want to see more penalties. It's the last thing we want. It's um, it's it's just super boring. The problem is it's too it's too big a series to let it slip. And this box kicking style just seems to be the ultimate defensive minded um, strategy that you put the ball up, you chase through hard, you try and you know they, they tried to turn it over a couple of times. They, there was a couple of catches that were held up after kicks, and then the, see the rules state you don't actually get the ball if you if you trap it in the mall. Um, but it happened a couple of times and it, it's, it's just no, no one's willing to, to sort of take the high risk, high reward path. They just seem destined to put the ball up, look for errors and try and capitalize from there. And it's now worked. The team that's box kicked better and put a better chase on it in two successive games has ended up winning the game. Um, so, I mean, this did seem like it was a little bit of the Ben O'Keefe show early. He obviously wanted to put his stamp on the game, had lots of chats. Obviously, he's a good community. He's very direct in what he wants um, from captains, and he will lay it out very clearly for them, which I think this series almost needed. There were quite a few either decisions where people have questioned whether, for instance, the Kobe, the Colby um, red-yellow card, whether it should have been a red in sort of other games, um, and then there's several other incidents that have seemed to just go bypass sort of the citing commissioner in the 24 hours post this game. You have sort of the Atoje having a knee um, down on sort of DL Allende's neck um, on the ground. You have the Faftikler coming up and looks like a swinging arm shoulder charge on Connor Murray just before um, the British Irish Lions scored. Um, you had... Also, there was stuff about potentially Stuart Hogg biting someone else. And there was also a Marco Vernapola hit in the very first minute um, on Eben Etzebeth that looked like a direct contact to the head as well. Um, so there are all these things. And it seems like none of that even got touched by the signing commission. I don't know whether it's because some of the names that are associated in that. I mean, I've said Faktikla Katoje, um, Marco Vernapola are some big names in this. Um, group whether they don't want them missing out that said we're not going to have CFAT for game three anyway but do you think that's that's pressure of the 
of the series getting to the people in charge of citing this? Or do you think that this just isn't a a concern for this board at the moment? Well, they don't really have to front up and explain decisions. Sorry, they do have to front up and explain decisions. They don't have to front up and explain lack of review, really. Like there's no, there doesn't seem to be a face of that citing commission and who comes out and says, yeah, well, we, we ruled these things out because X, Y, Z. So by not even sort of having it on the list for review, um, it feels like they can just kind of sweep it under the carpet. And I'm sure there's pressure to make sure that the, the game and the teams aren't um, weakened or compromised from people being ruled out unnecessarily. But it does feel very out of step with the recent focus on player safety and high, high contact and, the stuff like a Toji kneeling on Dillende, like I watched that and I went, that's just infuriating. Like that's completely unnecessary and it is rough and dangerous. And I mean, it makes me think of when people are like, oh no, you know, rugby or league, they're tough games and that's just part of it. And you're like, well, no, it's not. Like they can be, wait, they can be using that energy on, you know, entertaining us, not just like trying to like foul play niggle people. Like it's just not necessary. So, I guess that's frustrating. I, I would have liked to see something come down on part of this group for some of these indiscretions because I think they've got to maintain the rage to, in order to really change the player's behaviour. If it's inconsistent, then it just builds into the risk factor they feel like they're, they're taking um, in a match. You know, you choose to do this, you go, well, when, they're, when they're on their high horse about this type of issue, I'll get penalised, but then they also drop off. They haven't been onto it recently, so I'll... You know, I'll happily take the take the risk that I don't get penalised for doing this, and that's going to end up hurting someone. Yeah, I mean, I I wonder if we will see more of that after this game three, if we have the same, because it's not going to have the same impact on the series. We do now have the teams for this final game, the decider in the series. Um, the big exclusions, I think, from South Africa, Peter Steptoit, Fafter Clerk, both not available, said through injury, so. They've sort of shifted their six. They have Franco Mostert out from the road to six um, and Lou Diaga coming in. So almost quite a like-for-like substitution there. Um, and then who do they have in nine now? Corbus Reinach is starting at nine rather than Elton Yang. She stays on the bench there. And then the Lions have made a, quite a few changes um, starting from the back sort of. They've got um, Liam Williams, who's probably a bit better under the high ball compared to Stuart Hogg, who had a a fairly um, uninspiring sort of game, really, the, f- the first two games of this series. Josh Adams, the prolific sky uh, try scorer in this series, gets his first start or first naming for the team there. And then uh, up front, they've got um, Ken Allens and Wynne Jones um, in the front row as well to try and shore up that scrum that was starting to get um, very under pressure, especially in the second half of this Springboks team as well. Um, so... Boys feeling decider. Now we switch to having the Springboks maybe with some momentum after a win, but losing two fairly key cogs in that team, especially Fafter Clerk. Um, you got to think that, that that must hurt their chances a little bit. Is that enough to make you think the Lions might take this? No, I don't think so. I think the box still have enough to do it. I mean, Peter Staff-Toy, also Faf, I think uh, they're both big outs. I think Luke Diago coming into the starting team, he's been playing well, so they probably lose less in the forwards. But um, I feel a little gem around the park, and I love what he brings to that team, so he'll be a loss. 
I just look at this Lions back line and the changes they've made. And yeah, I think they're positive changes, but I don't think they're, they're necessarily going to make the team that much better in terms of their um, overall attacking prowess, defensive prowess. I mean, they're probably actually more attacking players, but Bundyaki, Robbie Henshaw, Adams, Vandermeer, Williams, is that really an all-star back line? I'm not that impressed by it really as, um, as a Lions back line. If you look back, you know, across the years, this one wouldn't stack up to most of them. So for me, the box, I think the continuity they have in their team, I think the momentum, the fact that Rassi's gone under the Lions' skin, and um, I think it was pretty obvious with that result in the second game, and I think they can continue that on into the third. Yeah, I'm of a similar mind. The, the style of game with this box kicking didn't really offer a lot of opportunities for the existing back line of the Lions to play the way they were playing for their for their individual countries in the Six Nations. Like the the style of game that they were playing was was different. It gave them more opportunities to be attacking, to to spread the ball around. And because they didn't do that and they feel like I mean they have been shown up a bit by the high ball, but they also feel like it's a weakness now. So they bring in Liam Williams, who is going to be stronger under the high ball, but it's not necessarily adding anything in attack. He's just reinforcing that that issue that um, that they've experienced. He's just trying to you know nullify that for the box. Doesn't really give them a step forward. It just creates hopefully a few errors for them, I suppose. And I guess the hope will be that they'll retain possession and maybe there'll be a bit more broken play, and someone like Josh Adams will get a chance. Bundiaki doesn't scare me. Like the the South African centers will roll him. He's He's not really going to monster them, I wouldn't expect. And Ali Price versus Corvus Reinach, like, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a that's a bigger hit for the South Africans. Um, but again, not not like a game breaking player. So, the, yeah, you're right. In a couple of years, you'll ask me who is in this back line, and I'll be lucky if I can name anyone beyond Dan Bigger. I reckon just just for how memorable this lineup is. Um, and and the forward packets, yeah, they've, they've changed the scrum around. Ken Owens was niggly and and um, was was reasonable when he came on in the second match. So I can see why he's getting a chance. The rest, I think, have been playing all right. I think, like you said, Toby, they just need to play more rugby, put put less high ball up, and it's it's a stupid tactic to persevere with because the South Africans have shown that they can handle it and they'll do it back to you, you know, better than you can. So. Why persevere with it? Why not pick like a more exciting back line? Run them around. Just, just yeah, that's right. The, shift that massive forward pack of the Springboks back and forth and tie the hell out of them. That's right. And that's that's been a tactic that lots of teams have used against the Springbok team yeah. that, that wanted to grind with big forwards and didn't have the fitness and was more deliberately infringing and, and rough and, and, you know, dicey, like, you know, doing dodgy things. It's almost like the, the the British and Irish Lions when they've been shaken off their pedestal this last game. They they decided that they were going to go harder, but they actually became um, less precise and they were coming in the side at rucks and getting penalised and all the stuff that Razzie was picking up on got pulled up in the second test. So, um, yeah, I don't feel like this is a step in the right direction for them. That It feels like a defensive-minded selection and I don't think that's what they need to get past the box in game three. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there. I just don't think the Lions are going to bring the right tactics into this game. Um, At least shift. we might get to see Finn Russell come on late in the game 
um, if they're desperate. Like that's where it could really open up. He might be able to create something. But mm. again, like you're right. Big, big think- has been an elite kicker, but but should they have gone all out firepower in this game to really run them around? I think it's probably worth the risk at least end with a bang. I yeah, I guarantee you probably the storyline by the end of this game will be Finn Russell comes on with 15, 20 minutes to go, looks electric and inspires the attack, but it'll be too late and they'll be like, We would have won if we had him fit for the whole series. And that mm. will be the storyline heading back to the UK. Let's shift gears and come back to closer shores here and look at Bledisloe one. It is happening this weekend. 7th of August, Eden Park, the first of two tests now to be played in Eden Park, back-to-back weekends. Obviously, massive hoodoo for the Wallabies team at Eden Park, but we get two bites to try and take down uh, this tradition and get a win there. Boys, we've seen the teams out. We have Aaron Smith playing his 100th test game for the All Blacks here. They'll be fired up. And our team looks a little bit different to what we'd expect. We've had some late um, people being ruled out with Marika and Izzy Nasarani not being eligible for this game. Yeah, and really unfortunate circumstances there. Um, We're not going to go into it in depth, but I think those guys will know that they, you know, disrespected the team protocols, even though it was probably quite minor or it sounds like it was, um, you know, one game punishment, it's probably fitting if you want to keep the culture strong. Um, and it's just unfortunate now that's going to be Marika missing for almost two full games for the Wallabies, given he's leaving at the end of the season um, for a little while that, you know, love seeing him play. I think he's probably one of the first picked, if not our best player. Um, but, yeah, it's the back line that suffers the most, I think, here. We've got a lot of inexperience. Ford Pack is exactly what I would have thought. Um, Nice to see Wilson back, Valentini in there, showing the faith, faith with him a little Didn't bit. expect Tupo to start. Look, I think we might be of the mindset now that his impact is invaluable in that last 30 minutes, particularly against the All Blacks. Um, you know, I think he can play 80, he can play 80 well, but the way he can change a game, um, our bench has been a real strength throughout even the French series, and I think... If had Nicerani been on that bench, would have even been more impressive. But there's plenty of impact and experience coming off the bench, which is nice. My biggest worry is that if we get behind early in this game, the real inexperience in our backline, I feel like we'll lose direction, we'll lose our poise, um, and the All Blacks have the potential to really cut us apart. So we have to start fast. We have to start positively and hopefully get a couple of early tries to really, you know, keep keep that confidence high um, because Eden Park is so relentless. If you get down by 10, 20 points, it can easily be a blowout. Yeah, there's definitely potential um, with such a young and relatively inexperienced, relatively ill, um, unproven backline, at least, with, with the firepower the All Blacks are fielding. To, to lose their way. And, and I guess you look at the caps in this back line and I think Banks, we, we went through it just before we sort of started recording, Banks has got the most caps, is the only guy in double figures. And the next most couple of senior guys are Hunter Paisami and Jordi Patea, who hasn't played yet this year. So when things are going to get 
um, sort of high pressure um, in in the you know end of the first half if things aren't going that well and we're we're looking at conceding like the guys are going to pull this back line in the, the senior guys Banks and Paisami and maybe Patea like do we think they're experienced enough to to really you know help manage this group through the tough times uh, the forward packs a, a different story obviously you've got you got Hooper who's a vet. Um, Lucan's pretty much a vet. You've got great guys like Slipper and BPA and Alato, all, all senior players for their own side. So there's there's plenty of experience there. I guess it'll be interesting to see if those guys, or maybe maybe it's Hooper's job to slip out in the back line and, and really talk to his guys if things aren't going well. But I guess the most exciting thing for me, like this is, this is pretty much the back line, aside from maybe Marika being out and... I guess the other wings is a bit in flux. I think Dalgunu probably would have been here if he was fit. Um, but if Patea is fit and, and in, can come into this game in form, oh, this is a really good backline. This is the backline of the future. So I really hope that they, they give it everything and, and get, some, get some runs on the board against New Zealand. I was really surprised that we didn't see Hodge named somewhere in this backline. Um, just after having a reasonably good game off the bench uh, in the final French test. Uh, and then just having a bit of a lucky experience, I figured that Hodge was probably a better candidate to try and slip in either at the back or onto one of the wings rather than putting Tamua back in there because that would be the other option. Um, we didn't see any Quaid. No Quaid in our 23, unfortunately. He doesn't get that um, triumphant return to Eden Park. I just have to say that everyone in New Zealand really wanted him to, to see him. But, oh, my God, I've, I'm probably happy because he would have copped so much um, he, he would vocal have been abuse like, yeah. if he was if he's think, anywhere around. I think I'd rather he's have ready for tomorrow. it. I honestly think he's ready for it. Oh, I, I think, think he might well. thrive on it. But if we, if, we go, if we go down in this first game and it's a bit of a blowout, I can easily see Quaid being on the bench for the next one. I just don't see the point in having Tamura on the bench. Honestly, like because he's seen as someone who can control the game if needed, and but haven't we seen it proven level that he of inexperience and doesn't? Well, I think he it's can. a perception. He can, but it depends on the scenario, and you have to be I up by fifteen he, points, and then he can when, come yeah, in and control it. It has to be in that sort of game where he can come in and just close out a game rather than take over a game and and kind of win it for you. He's not that type of player. I just think Rennie's scared of the inexperience, and that's why he's got Tamua and Hodge there. They're both, both more than 40 tests each. I think that's just to cover for if things get a bit crazy, you bring on these two stable heads and hopefully calm things down again in that back line. Forwards aren't a worry. I think we can match it with the All Blacks in the forwards. I'm confident of that. I think we, we're close to having the edge in the back row. I think it's quite even in those two back rows. Second row, they've got us covered. But in the front row, I would say that we've probably got them covered. So I think there's slight lean for us in the forwards towards us. In the backs, though, the amount of cohesion they have in their back line with Aaron Smith, Richie Moonga, who plays with Havili, you've got ALB there, who's just a, such an experienced veteran at 13. You've got two live wires on the, on the wings who can score tries out of anywhere. And then, you know, Damien McKenzie. I mean, what more can I say? They've got and then you've got three line. Barretts to come on um, in the second half as well. Exactly, like. exactly. 
So their back line, I think, is where the difference is going to lie. If we can't dominate in the forwards and hold on to the ball, I think we're going to be in, in real trouble. Also, if our kicking game is slightly off, they're going to counter the hell out of us. So we've got to be really careful. They're really strong in their kicking uh, 9 through 13. Um, like having Havili there, this is this is the selection, I think, on form. And if I was a um, dedicated All Blacks fan, th- this is the what I would have wanted but not expected to get, perhaps, would be David Havili at 12. But I, like, I really think he's earned it. And I think he's got that right blend of playmaker, ball runner, creative kicking. Like it's, it's just a bit of everything and, and he's fit and healthy. But obviously now that they've done it, I'm actually to me makes this a especially dangerous backline because they'll be able to kick into space and, and pin us back um, at, you know, good range too. Like they don't have Geordie's big boot at the back. Um, they've, they've traded that in obviously for um, the electric McKenzie and the, the form he's been in uh, recently is, is very, very good. So they're certainly not losing anything there. This is a really good side. And I guess the other part of what I fear is like they, they've got enough of those combinations and everyone looks to be in form and they play to their potential for such, for so many minutes um, out of the total. They're 80% effective in pretty much everything they do. And I feel like on potential and on skill, our guys are right up there too. Like Hunter has a um, undervalued kicking game to a lot of people. Um, and and Iki Towers just looked explosive and dangerous. But are these gonna are these guys gonna play in their combinations to their peak for more than 25% of the game? And are we just gonna battle through the rest? That's that's what I worry, and I think is probably the reality at the moment that we're just we haven't been together in this unit for, for long enough to be as elite as the All Blacks. I think everyone would pretty much agree to that. Um, and I just hope that we can stay as this type of unit because this is the team of the future for us. We just need to put away, um, you know, the desperation to get a win here and there and, and accept some results but accept development and, and improvement because this type of team with the combinations developing in, in a year's time, how good would it be if these guys were firing at 80% like the All Blacks do? Such an amazing opportunity, though, to get a win at Eden Park, though, isn't it, Arch? You know, two games in a row, this doesn't happen. I'm not sure this has ever happened. Mm, um, absolutely. In the history of, of the Bledisloe. And, yeah, we haven't won there since 1986, but that's got to change at some point. And whether you look at the first game being that opportunity or the second maybe we can surprise them if we get a a loss in the first who knows but either way regardless of how the blood is low ends up this year out of the three games if we can get one win at Eden Park that's setting us on the right path for the next couple of years leading into the World Cup what how do we get that win where are the matchups in this game that we that the Australian player has to take down and outplay his counterpart um, where where is that sort of battle going to be lost to one? Is it sort of right up front with the front row? Like I just starting off, I'd say like if Slipper straight from the front of the first scrum can get the um, knock on Nepo La 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 and just make that Wallaby scrum dominant from the very first hit and just paint a picture that we keep getting scrum penalties. And so every time there's a loose carry that we're find that as an advantage. I feel like that would be a massive point in just showing a little bit of dominance. Like you're talking about our forward pack has the ability to 
dominate this All Blacks pack. That's where we need to start, I think. Any other points you want? I agree with that point, but I think the second row is probably what drives a lot of the scrum success. I think we've got the wood on them, like Toby said. It's Darcy and Lucan being able to match it in the tight there as and play as well or better than Whitelock and Brody Retallick. Like that's they're the two. They need to outperform those two because that translates the line out success. That translates to scrum success. Um, they're the two that certainly like I think the backs just individually one-on-one need to be better than their counterpart or at least matched I think the game changes if our locks can can out outmatch the New Zealand locks yeah I'd agree with that I think the line out is pretty key as well and that starts with our throwing from BPA who he's been decent this season without being spectacular and I think we just need to keep those line outs straight to give us the best opportunity to always win our line out and then Darcy Swain has been showing that he has the potential to steal the odd line out here and there so I think that's really promising leading into the scrum I think look we have the opportunity here to to dominate if we start well Um, then you got Taniella coming into the team for the second half which could be huge as well but we need to set that platform early Alilatora I think's really got to step up against Bauer I mean, he's relatively inexperienced and Alalata, we've been waiting for that game from him to, to really stand out. I think this is the time for him to really put his mark on this game early so that Taniello can continue that on. But second row is key. Lucan can't be dropping his head, um, you know, if things don't go his way. I think his work rate's been better this year. I think he's um, been defending well. But we need carries through the middle as well from these second rowers to to set up some ascendancy when we've got the ball in hand. And then guys off the side like Hooper and Wilson, Valentini can make those extra metres as well. So I think it's, yeah, it all starts with the forwards. Scrum is obviously key, but it's all around the park and it's just not dropping your head if we get behind. This does feel like, I mean, we were painting all through the Super Rugby season how Jordan Patea was sort of Australia's version of Rico Ioani. And it feels like him coming back in the team, he's facing off against Rico. Like this is a proper battle between those two. And if Patea can come back in, hold on to the ball, not see him give up sort of the easy drop ball or throw some of those miracle balls that we've seen him do in the past. Um, and also shut Rico down. I feel like that goes a long way as well to implementing a little bit of dominance or even sort of that mental sort of fortitude that um, these guys are are able to tough it up with the best of New Zealand and even put a bit more on top of them in terms of physical dominance. They have a tough job, don't they? Like they've got to be, they've got to try and be dominant. They've, but they've got so much going on um, in the hands inside uh, like the, the, the amount of deception that the All Blacks will put on Patea and Callaway um, to, in order to create space for their wings and, and create that sort of overlapping uh, number. Like it's, it's going to be so hard for him not to want to rush up and try and contain it and, and find that they're just passing it around behind him. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge contest because we contain from the wings. If, if the whole line works and you come in and, and you suffocate that, that edge-to-edge play that the All Blacks are so good at. Like, that'll make a big difference. And then, again, hopefully we get over the ball and really contest the rucks and, at the le- at the very least, legally slow it down. Um, 
And then I'm super excited to have Fraser McWright finally named on the bench because mm. he's the sort of guy who can um, late in the game. He's the sort of one I'd rather have someone like that, which may feel like a bit of a, you know, we missed out on another big ball carrier, um, you know, like a nice Sarani or a Swinton type because he can come on and rather being a guy who's going to bust through the line or, you know, manage a game like Tamua, he's going to get in there. He's going to take possession away. And it's just like snuffing out a candle sometimes. Like the the other team will have momentum and they'll be carrying phase and phase and phase. And then all of a sudden, phase has got the ball and, and we've got the penalty. And that's that to me is the way you can, is, is a key way you can manage the game late is put a bit more effort into stealing the ball because they can't win without the ball. And he's so effective at that. I, I really like having that weapon late. Um, I hope he gets you know, a, a decent amount of time on the field. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Rennie does, um, whether he does leave Hooper on and brings on Fraser and plays sort of the two smaller um, back rowers. Wilson, Wilson, Wilson to come off. Surprisingly, Wilson seems to come off at yeah. 60 minutes, 55, 60 minutes quite regularly. Mm. Um, whereas I would have almost thought that Valentini would be the guy that you'd sub early, but it must be Wilson, his intensity is remarkable when he's on the field. It's just whether they that's their game plan, you know, 60 mm. minutes of full throttle and then that's it. That's all you have to do. Um, I feel like... Whereas they, Valentini, yeah. They may do that and even bring off Valentini and pull Lucan out to six late in the game potentially that's as well. Because Lucan does tend to True. play 80 minutes as well. Yeah. Um, Toby, do you think Rennie has got Harry Wilson um, Moanga hunting or Mackenzie hunting this week again? We saw it a lot last year just making very early on making a point that he is going to be there to hit Moanga every time he gets the ball. And even if it's just after he passes, he's got remark. Like he's obviously smart enough to know when it's close enough that he can still put a hit on without it being late. And he seems to be able to do it um, consistently. Do you think Rennie's going to try and tell him to you, you do that every time you can again? Yeah, and I think it, it's just a focus to make sure he hits him low and hits him hard Yeah, and doesn't creep up given the height difference between them. I think Richie's only like, you know, 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, he's not a big yeah. guy. But his timing is remarkable. I think he'll definitely be for looking for those opportunities. He's a very smart footballer. I think Fraser can continue that on when he comes on. Um, yeah, there's just little things. We have to be a smart football team. We have to, you know, we're not necessarily got as much talent as the All Blacks. We've got to find ways to, you know, trouble them, ways to unlock what we have and play smart. You know, Australian rugby was always known 20 years ago as being the smartest rugby, you know, globally in terms of the way that we go about things. We've lost a little bit of that, I think, along the way. The All Blacks, I think they're pretty confident. The way that I've been hearing a lot of the players be interviewed they know it's always a big game, the blood is over, but I don't think they're thinking this year that this is going to be the year when they lose it. We're not probably as a team quite at that point where we're looking at like a massive threat, but I think that's when we can catch them napping a bit. Um, but we've got to come out and just start so well. Like there's no question about it. We can't let them score a couple of tries and then we're just chasing our tails the whole game. Um, we had some really good results against them last year and we've got to remember that. This is a more inexperienced team, but in a lot of ways, I think, as you guys have said, like this is the team for the future. So if we don't get the result this time, it's not the end of the world. It's going to be a different story in two years' time, but 
we need to keep showing that spirit and that fight throughout the game. I think as well, like I spoke about Havili being um, like a strong selection. I think he and potentially Mackenzie are still uh, a little bit, a little bit uh, available to us for kind of pressuring and containing and, and seeing some frustration. Like if you, if, if Hunter keeps lining up David Havili and lays him out a few times, I think he'll get a bit frustrated in, and might change the way he's playing. And Mackenzie, if you remember um, the game last year, uh, was Marika was hassling him as the last minute and things are looking pretty desperate. And yeah. like Mackenzie gets Up a bit frantic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like his style is a very energetic, frantic kind of, you know, he'd like you, he'll, he'll outflank you and, and go wide and, and throw some amazing passes and use his speed. And he's very elusive, but you can kind of almost ratchet that up a bit if we can, can keep him contained and pressure him. He's the sort of guy I think who starts thinking, oh, I've got to, got to make something happen here. You've got to force something and, yeah. and all that running around sideways could become you can almost catch an him issue. behind the line and get him going backwards almost because he's, he's trying he's to be desperate to break the tackle. That's yeah. right. And, and start taking territory off them. So um, probably Havili only because maybe he's a bit fresh. Uh, I think he's pretty solid. Like I don't think he's easily shaken, but I think it's still worth trying to target him because I don't think you're going to get that in Moanga and I don't think you're going to get that out of Leonard Brown. Um, but I think Havili may be a little bit prone to that. Um, but McKenzie definitely like it's, it's hard to contain the guy, but he's going to be coming in a first receiver a bit. Uh, if we can, if we can have pressure on him as he's receiving the ball and he starts crabbing wide to try and get away from players. And then we can just be suffocating him before he really spreads it. Like, I think that will frustrate him and he'll get more and more desperate to try and um, break away from that. And, and that's where opportunities may come. Dare I ask you guys to give me your tips for this game? Is that, is that, <laughs> Do you want it from my heart or from my head? I want to know what's going to happen. I'm going to this game. I want to know if I'm in for pain or pleasure. I think you wear your Wallaby jersey proudly and you take a big black jacket as well. <laughs> Just for um, afterwards. I'm, I will be wearing my Wallaby jersey. I am sitting in a group of all-black supporters um, and I will be loudly cheering for our boys in gold and desperately probably hoping that we don't do too well and embarrass some people because then they might get mad um, and then I might be in a bit of danger. But I'd love they, a good close game like, like the Reds had with the Brumbies this year. Like, you know, you might be behind, but at least you're in touch and then some magic at the end. Um, but I think first hit out, the, the, it's definitely the Wallabies are up against it. And I think this is probably the game where the All Blacks contain us but hopefully we learn a lot and then I'll, I'll expect us to have a bit more um, opportunities in, in the second game, but happy to be surprised. All Blacks by 13. I mean, the bookies have it. I think the margin they're picking is 20, 19 and a half or 20. That's in through. I think we're eight to one to win. So if you feel confident, put a bet down. Mm. Um, I'm realistic about this i'd love to be surprised but i think the all blacks probably will take it by a couple of converted tries at least um the, but the i just want to see us hang in there the no more um, hodge on the bench i was like hmm, so 80th minute penalty to win the game that he probably misses again and he's oh, once again just like the most unlucky I mean, man in rugby 
he's right. he's there. Geordie's there. It could go either way. Right? That's true. Both Very true. Miles Just, away. That's it. Sixty <laughs> meter penalties to face off to to finish the game. There's there's a lot of quality coming on for the All Blacks off the bench. Um, not particularly in in their props. I I don't rate them at all. But you know, Scott Barrett, Bowden Barrett, Geordie Barrett. I mean, come on, it's amazing. Um, it's hard to contend with that. And then you've got Dane Coles as well. It's going to be really difficult. Um, but it's not impossible, honestly. We have a lot of talent in our team too. We've just got to harness it in the right way, not get overawed by the occasion. Look, at Eden Park. A lot of these guys haven't played there for the Wallabies before and got to remember that as well. Um, Iki Tao will be a huge test for him. Massive. Hope yeah. he can hang in there. Massive. has got to really help him out. Watch for Tate to go sniping through. He'll steal one at some point. Hopefully. I mean, equally, you've got to watch out for Noah being cleaned up by someone like Papa Lee or, you know, Noah's not a big guy. Um, so on both sides of the ball, the fly halves are targets because they are, you know, 80 kilos ringing wet. So you've got to protect them well. I think Tate's a real differential for us. I'm glad we went with him. I think Jakey's been solid, but... Tate's kind of, yeah, he's got this this way about him where he'll make things happen. Yeah. And Nick White, it would have been, I think, the wrong thing to do to put Nick White in with limited preparation. So I'm glad we kind of, it feels like we're moving in the right direction with our selections um, whilst keeping that continuity. You know, Kellaway is probably in his place. Um, Pateo's always got the talent. We just need to see the consistency. But... I think overall this team's looking good. It's just probably not the right time for us yet, but I hope they surprise me. You only get to the right time by playing through these times, so we're on the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you're right. Tate always he pick, somehow just manages to put defenders just on their heels just for that half second when he picks up the ball because they just don't know what he's going to do, and it might just be enough to give our backs or give one of our forwards a bit of extra time or banks coming through on that close inside the ruck line. Let's leave it now. That's that's this weekend. We'll be able to talk about it all next week. Um, but we had the end of MLR over the weekend and the LA Guiltinis. They win in their inaugural season, 31-17. to 17. Matt Guto, the standout, setting up a couple of good tries in this, um, either throwing some of his inside balls uh, or doing some chip kicks over to Adam Ashley Cooper, Swoopy there. But the boys really enjoyed this win. Ito with the man of the match performance in there. And we had our Australian contingent between uh, Gitto, Meeks and Cooper all getting involved in their Silly Sunday celebrations. I'm sure um, the rest of the Aussies like Cottrell and Dave Dennis were well and truly in there as well. And what a send-off for Darren Coleman before he comes back to New South Wales rugby. And you Deep made three. an appearance in Vegas as well, Arch. Just quietly. Oh, <laughs> Sean McMahon, where did he come from? Away. Yeah, Sean McMahon. I don't know how he managed to steal his way into Vegas. Sniffs it out. That's it. The staffy, the staffy <laughs> made an experience and wanted to celebrate with his, with his countrymen. Yeah, but yeah, I Coleman think... was really emotional in leaving, like... He's obviously formed some really strong bonds there with the guys at the Guiltinis and 
Um, I think, you know, they'll be sad to see him go and he's really sad to be going after putting this together. So I think that bodes well for the Waratahs. It seems like a guy that players want to get around and can get behind. And if he can build that same culture, albeit it probably won't be a strong winning culture off the bat, but there's a lot of promise there. And I'm, I'm excited for Waratah's future based on that. Yeah, and this shows, again, his history of, you know, getting success early within two or three years of actually coaching them. And, yeah, this was probably more about management of the team rather than just coaching because the way they recruited for this franchise, the amount of experience and good quality Australian players they brought in really helped. Um, but, yeah, it's just a really good story, I think, for the MLR. I think there's plenty of attention around it now. It just shows you that quality players, whether they're in their mid-20s or in their mid to late 30s, can actually go over there and, and make a pretty good showing of it. Um, Matt Guido and AAC obviously um, into retirement now, I think. At least Adam Ashley Cooper has confirmed that, I think. Not sure about Guido, but um, there must be that temptation to play on when you're still feeling pretty good about how you're playing and getting success. But there's got to be a time to step away. And maybe that's into coaching for someone like Gitto. Stephen Hoyles will be head coach there for next next season. Um, and, yeah, they'll probably need to do some more recruiting. But I think Dave Dennis has signed on for another year. Looked like they have a pretty strong core there. And you can see why people would want to go and play there. If It's a good program. It's a, a great city to live in on the West Coast. Great weather. Um, and, yeah, those guys just look like they had the best time ever. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have minded being a part of that um, franchise for this year. Absolutely. I think those guys definitely looked like they had a whale of a time. And, yeah, I think you're right. And Kikito may well um, end up being in the coaching ranks, whether that's a year in transition where he plays a bit and coaches a bit or not. Um, I think the whole contingent is trying to get him to, to bring it back for one more year. But I think with his good mate, Swoopy, calling it quits he may, he may well follow suit there as well and i hope he comes back to the brumbies arch be nice to see gitto coaching the brumbies in the next five to ten years dan mckellar moving on who knows gitto could step back into maybe an assistant role of the brumbies 2023 and did you see jesse mogg is signed back with the brumbies speaking of some of the old veterans coming home not as a coach but back as a player so Jesse Mogg, he's made a name for himself over in France and he's, he's coming back to try and help the Brumbies um, take back a title. Is he Matt, looking forward to playing 23? I don't he's know, man. Uh, no, no, I reckon he can play on the wing. Um, and maybe that's... I feel like that's a slight reaction to, to Mac Hansen leaving. Um, although Mogg's probably... I think he's about 30 now. So hasn't got that many years left in him, but versatile and very experienced so good cover for banks and maybe either off the bench or starting on the wing perhaps if um if there's some injuries and it sounds like they may be also losing solomon okata um planning to move back to auckland it sounds like to potentially play for the blues um joining up with his former league mate tuavasa shek who of course is coming across from the new zealand warriors um, to try and make a name for himself in rugby union this year even left the NRL season early to get into some of his club footy um, in New Zealand to get a, himself back into um, rugby union from his schoolboy days. That's pretty much all we need to cover, guys. Remember, you've got, obviously, 
Bledisloe 1 kicking off in Auckland, Eden Park, 7pm local time there, 5pm on the east coast of Australia. And then the British and Irish Lions, Game 3 kicking off at 2am east coast Australian time. So that's 4am here in New Zealand as well. Some absolutely massive games here. The end of one series, the start of another. We're still going to have a rugby championship to look forward to exactly what uh, sort of way that schedule plays out now. It's still a little bit up in the air, but we obviously have two games in New Zealand and then a game in Perth between the Wallabies and New Zealand. And then we'll look a bit more closely at Argentina and South Africa. That's all from us this week, guys. Make sure you are keeping up to date with any extra news on our social media at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. Make sure you're liking and subscribing. Guys, big game this weekend. Make sure you're tuning in. We'll be back next week, hopefully celebrating an amazing performance from our boys in gold. But until then, keep on running. Run. Spicy cough is that what people are calling it? That's what COVID is. Is it spicy cough?